This morning, I get you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you're listening to us or watching us, I urge you to get your Bible if you can. Follow along if you can. I know I jump around a lot in my scriptures, but that's where we're going to be. Chapters 4, chapters 5, and chapter 6 this morning. It was funny, uh, uh, Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and this church was mostly a Gentile church. It had a few Jews, but most of them were Gentiles, and they didn't have that background that the Jews did about holy living. So they needed to learn an awful lot. And I'm so glad that, that Paul wrote to this church and many other churches like that because it is through his writings to these churches to give them guidance that we learn so many different lessons on how we as Christians should live in holy living with, with, without having to be tied to the law. And so as I read these verses, I, was, I started, I was hunting for a certain verse this week and I, I had heard somebody mention it. And, well, I could never remember the whole verse they said. So all I remember was, I thought they said 2 Corinthians 4. So I started there in 4. I read all the way through 6. And the Lord just kept showing me different things here. And I said, you know, as Paul wrote these back then, this was to a totally different world, totally different circumstances of what was going on. But it's amazing how these same words that he penned all those years ago are so prevalent today. And so I titled the title of my lesson the Lord gave me, our sermon is some lessons to the church or just simply lessons. And as Paul's writing this, and you know, he wrote that, like I said, think of the world we live in today. Paul even knew, had a glimpse of it. He, as he told Timothy, y'all stay in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to jump over just a little bit. Say Timothy chapter three, he said this, he said that know this and in the last days, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minders, lover of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of them thereof he said from such turn away so paul kind of knew that this was going to happen so i think the holy spirit as he allowed him to write these words to these churches knew that we were going to need the same kind of lessons that he gave them then we need them today now i want us to start off we're going to be in first second corinthians chapter four let's look at verses one and two and it says this it says therefore seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but renounce the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's consciousness in the sight of God. So as he's writing this, basically what he starts off saying, he says, seeing that we have this ministry. Now, a lot of people say, well, Paul was talking about himself. But that word ministry in Greek is tikonia, and it means service. And every one of us has been called to serve. So as Paul said this, see, we have this, this, this service 
that we receive because of the mercy of Jesus Christ when you got saved. Yeah. And he says this. I like what he said this. He said, listen what he said. He says, we faint not. Now what he was saying here, that word faint translates also as discouraged. So he says, you've been given a, a, a job to do. Don't get discouraged. So I, I, I entitled this first point, stay the course. No matter what's going on, stay the course. Don't get discouraged. And boy, it's easy to get discouraged. In it. If we live in this world we live in, everything happening, you think how easy it is to get discouraged. I said, well, Lord, how can we get stay from getting discouraged? <coughs> and, and, you know, if you take out word faint, we don't need to faint. We don't need to be discouraged. And, you know, we need the right kind of inspiration. Yeah. How many of you have the right kind of inspiration? It's easy to get the wrong one, isn't it? I mean, watch the news. Go to Walmart. Talk to people. It's easy to get discouraged. And I got to thinking about it, and I was thinking about that word faint a little bit, and I said, you know, one thing is you, you need to have your mindset right. And I said, it's kind of like having a balanced diet. Yeah, I heard the Snickers. And I said, here, I, as I thought about that, I said, I'm just living proof that 55 years of overeating and lack of exercise doesn't work. It can make you physically sick. But not having the right balance in your spiritual life also makes us spiritually sick. I don't know about y'all, I've had that, I think, more than physical sickness. It's where we're not... Following the right inspiration. We're not doing the right thing. You know, we got to realize that the best thing we have as Christians is the word of God, prayer, and worship. Without those, if you don't have that balance in your life, what do you have? You know, I thought about the word of God. And you know, as I started thinking about the word of God, Psalms 119 is the longest psalm in the, in the, in the Bible. It's also, you could say, it is the word about the word. Because that's what it's all about. As David wrote it, it's many, many believe that as David wrote it, he used this psalm to teach his young son Solomon the alphabet. Because of the way it's divided up. Not only did he teach him the, the physical alphabet, but with the words here, it was the spiritual alphabet. See, David, if anybody understood what it was like to get the wrong inspiration, it was David, a man after God's own heart. Yeah, but we see how David sinned. You said, well, how can he do that if he was a man after God's own heart? I told everybody Wednesday night, because he's a man. Yeah. And that comes first. But as we read 119, there's things in there that we realize, but taking God's word, if we would do like David did, it would really help us. He trusted it. In, Psalm, in verse 151 of Psalms 119, it says, Thou art near, O Lord, all thy commandments are true. See, David didn't just say, Lord, most of this applies to me or some of it applies. He said, all of your commandments are true. When, and I realize that when you're near to me. So see, when you're in the word and you're near to God, you realize that this book needs to be trusted in your life. There's all kinds of things we put and we try to trust. How many of you trust the vehicle you drove here to church is going to get you home? 
How many of you ever been in there and you drive along and it breaks down? I, I remember a friend of mine one time, he was going to look for a new car. He was just tired of the way his looked. He said, I, could, I trusted this vehicle though. He said, but the one day I go to the car dealership, that dealership guy made me mad. I go storming back to my trusted car. It wouldn't crank. He said, do you know how humbling it is going back in there and say, hey, can I have a jump? Sometimes the things we trust in is not to be trusted. But David said, you can trust in God's word. He studied it. In verse 73, he said this. He says, thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I might learn thy commandments. See, I've read that verse. I said, God, David knew one thing. David knew that God was in charge of who he was and what he was. You made me. You fashioned me. Give me understanding. How many of you have ever prayed for that? Lord, give me understanding that I might understand this book. You wrote it to me. It is a message to me. To nobody else, it's to me. How many of us ask God to help us to understand it? Well, I figured out one thing, Jimmy. If we don't. Read it. We don't understand it. Amen. I'm bad about that. How can you not understand something? You ain't reading. He used it. In verse 24, he said this. He said, thy testimonies are my delight and my counselor. So not only did he read God's word and he loved it, but he applied it. He used it. It was his counselors, what he trusted. He was a king. He had all kind of smart, mighty men around him giving him advice. But he says here, it was God's word that was his counselor. And of course, he delighted in it. He said in verse 162, he says, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth the great spoil. How many times have you rejoiced at the word? There's been times I, I've wanted to wipe some of it out. Oh, I don't like that. That hurt my feelings. I'm supposed to act like that? I mean, think about this. The Bible says we're supposed to turn the other cheek. How many of y'all are like David? Well, how many, or, or Peter, how many times we got to turn that thing? <laughs> You think about it. There's times you, you're like, Lord, I'd rather go to the eye for an eye. He says, love one another. We, we, and so there, we, we realize there's times we don't like it, but David said he obeyed it. He delighted in it. He rejoiced in it. And most importantly, no matter what he did, he obeyed it. Listen to verse 67. He says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I kept thy word. So we all know what David did, the sins that he did, and how it affected his life. But he obeyed God's word. You know, and sometimes I think we forget that. We need to, to, to do what we need to do to stay the course. God's word needs to be important. You know, I said another part of it was prayer. How much prayer time do you have? When it comes to prayer, how much do you do? 
They, Paul said in Philippians 4, 6, he said this. He said, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication give thanks. Let your requests be made known unto God. There's the answer how much prayer we should have. Paul said everything. I think sometimes what we do is we treat prayer like an emergency. Like, like those boxes you see on the side where it says, in case of fire, break glass. Then that's what we do for prayer. We wait till there's, there's some big emergency. Then we say, well, in everything we're asking, but are we in everything, every aspect of our life, is God involved in it? See, if you want to stay the course, and, and I speak from experience, if you're not on your knees, then you're not on the course. You say, well, I'm reading the Bible, but are you talking to the author? Are you communicating with them? What about worship? How much worship do you have? You know, worship is an action word. And I'll go ahead and give some of you a break. It's not just singing. Because if you're like me, I can't do that. I just make a joyful noise. But you think about this. It's living. The Bible says this. Paul said this in Colossians 3.23. He says, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Live it. Read it, pray it, live it. And you can stay the course. And so when the things come up and it gets hard and you say, how can I stay the course? You know how to do it. You know, when it comes to, to the, this not being, not fainting or being discouraged, why do we do it? Paul gives us the reason why. Look at in 2 Corinthians 4, look at verse 9. He said, or eight, excuse me. He said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. He says, look, things in life are hard. He gives a whole list. All these things that we go through every day, but if you ever notice after each one of them, when he said the first one, he said, we're troubled on every side, yet we're not distressed by it. It doesn't bother us, even though there's problems everywhere, even though we're persecuted. Why? Because we ought to know who we are. Yeah. If we're staying the course, these bad times are not as bad because we're focused on the one who can handle every one of the bad things. But if you're like me, sometimes it takes the bad things to wake you up. And then you start going, well, what do I need to do? Well, get back to the first list. Maybe every once in a while we need to realize we're, the, the battle we're in. Do you realize that your enemy wants to destroy you? Jesus said he's here to kill, steal, and destroy. He's not here to... To say, well, I'm going to pick on you every once in a while. He hates you. You want to know why? Because you're made in the image of God. When he sees you, 
He sees God and he remembers what he's lost. He don't. He has no feelings other than what he can do to destroy you. Maybe every once in a while you need to stop and remember who you are. Paul said in Romans 8, 37, he says this. He says, nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. But then he says this, through him that loved us. It's not you. It's not your strength. It's the strength you get from Jesus Christ. You say, we're weaklings. We're nothing. But with Jesus Christ, we're more than conquerors. These problems are nothing if we're focused on him. But when we come distracted, when you get distracted by the shinies, when you get distracted by all the things going on around you. You know, I found out a lot of times in my life, it's not when persecution's happening, it's when everything's right that I stop focusing on God. That I take my eyes off the prize. That I start thinking it's all about me. Anybody in here beside me ever got the big head? I'm just glad those doors back here swing wide so that I can actually come into the building sometimes with my big headed prideful self. And that God can take that needle and say, and he goes, you know, we need to remember who we are. We remember who Jesus is. Listen to his words in John 16, verse 33. Jesus said this. I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I love that verse because it reminds me when I'm abiding in him and he is in me, I can have peace in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a problem. He can be right there with me. I can stay the course because I know who's got me. Let's look at the next lesson that's found in chapter five of second Corinthians in verses seven and eight. He said this, he said, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. We need to walk true. So if you think about it, the first one is stay the course. The next one is walk true. He says, we walk by faith, not by sight. So it's not what we see around us. We got to realize that this walk is only temporary because if you look at that next verse, he says, we're confident, I'm saying, and willing rather to be absent from the body. You ever realize how short our walk is? How many of y'all remember being young and thought you could live forever? How many of you ever looked at people and you said, that 50-year-old person's old? And I now look and say, that 50-year-old person's young. You know, and it's amazing. But J- James told us this. James said in James chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time then vanish away. So this true walk we have, we don't have a long time 
we have to do it quickly. We have to walk truly with the faith that we have. And why could we do that? Because we're no longer what we used to be. Amen. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God said, I took you. I took that old heart out of you. I did surgery on you. I've made you something different. I mean, how many of you think, look back on your life and says, I'm not the person I was before I got saved. I mean, you think about that. I'm so glad I'm not the person I was. Yeah, and, you know, we, we can see now every once in a while that old ugly man kind of rears his head, don't he? And reminds us that we're not perfect yet. We need to quit running back to those sins and running back to our old life because that can get you down, can't it? After Jesus had talked to Peter, if you remember, Peter, of course, denied him. In John chapter 21, after they had done seeing Jesus and and Jesus was back, he, it says in 21 verse 3, Simon Peter said unto them, talking about the other disciples, I go a fishing. They said unto him, we also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship and immediately, and that night they caught nothing. You think about this, Peter decided, well, I've seen him, I've been given, I'm good, I'm going back to what I used to do. How many of us do that so many times? Not, not realizing what we're actually doing, but we go back to that old same lifestyle, the old same problems. It's like this, if you're on a diet, don't go hang out in a donut store. It's not a good place to be. You know, but so many times we find ourselves right back to where the sinful things in life. And just like Peter didn't go alone, he drug other folks down with him. But you think, if you read the rest of the story, you find out Jesus was there waiting on them. They went out and found out that the old lifestyle didn't have nothing. They caught nothing. Then Jesus came and they... They caught the catch of a lifetime. He reminded Peter of who he was. But you know, I think for some people, the problem is you can't walk true if you don't know who you're walking for. So there are people that go to church, you've been there and you've sat there, and, and, but really, do you know Jesus? You know, it, 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 it's simple. If he's not your Lord and Savior, he's just an acquaintance. You say, well, well, yeah, he is. A Lord is someone who controls your life, and the Savior is the one who paid the price. <clears throat> you know, I didn't say, are you faithful to church? I didn't say, do you give a lot of in your tithes? I asked you and said, do you know the Lord? Here's the, here's the biggest question to ask yourself. 
If you were to die this very moment, where would you spend eternity? The answer is not, I hope in heaven. I might, I think, if my good outweighs my bad, that's not knowing Jesus. Jesus said this, in John 14, 2, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He says, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord... We know not where thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, there's no way to heaven unless Jesus is your Savior. It's the easiest thing in the world. When God said he, for God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent us not his son in the world to condemn the world, but through the world through him might be saved. He offered this perfect plan. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. The Bible says, if thou confess with thy mouth, thou shalt be saved. But it also says this, it says, thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, thou shalt be and believe in thine heart. God raised from the dead. What you say has got to be believed in your heart. So I've talked to people before and they've walked an aisle, they said a prayer, but they got back up and nothing changed their life. Because if you say the prayer and you don't mean it, you just said a prayer. You've got to believe in your heart. Prayer really is not some magical words. It's what you believe. Do you believe that you're a sinner and there's no other way to heaven? but through Jesus Christ. Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that he rose again on the third day to give you everlasting life? If you do that, when you ask, you'll be saved. Now Satan's going to come along and try to convince you you didn't do it, you didn't mean it. God doesn't change you miraculously overnight. He begins a work in you that continues on. You can ask any child of God, that's been saved for 20, 30, 40 years, God's still working on them. You admit it, you believe it, and you confess it. You say a simple prayer. If you've never asked him in your heart, just pray along with me. If you're watching or you're listening, just pray along. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need you. I believe you died on the cross and rose again for me. Father, come into my heart and save me. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for being my Savior. Amen. It's as simple as that. See, because without that, you can't walk true. You can't stay the course. The last lesson I want to share with you. 
is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. Through verse 6, it says, Give ye no offense in anything that the ministry should not be blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience and afflictions and necessities and distresses, in stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love and faith. The last lesson is to stand and to shine. As a child of God, the hardest thing for us to do is to be what Christ called us to do. To be that light. To be that city on a hill. Because we struggle every day, but we're commanded to do it. If I was Paul and I was writing this, I would have added, quit whining, grow up, put on your big boy pants, Steve, and show the world that you're his no matter what's going on. Because sometimes we allow our situations to bring us down to the point that we're no longer listening to God. You know, we got to remember, as Paul said in Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul said the battle's out there and it's not easy. It's everywhere. Jesus told the disciples the night that he was to be arrested. He said, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will shut my shepherd and the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am arisen, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, though all men shall be offended because of thee. Yet I will never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that this night before the cock crows, you shall deny me thrice. And Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet I'll not deny thee. Likewise all the disciples. We all know how that played out. So my question is to you, when trouble comes, what will you do? You know, we need to, to pray more, get in his word more. Peter failed, as I seem to do that daily too. I understand Peter. But just like Peter, because of God's love, he became a different man. After he denied Christ, he never did it again. I think he understood who Jesus was more than any of them. Because of what he said publicly. When Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, he says this. He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Would you do that? 
He said, for whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Are you ready to stand and shine? To walk true? Are you ready to be what God's called you to be? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we all are facing battles, we're all facing problems, but it's how we, we stand. It's how we walk sure, how we walk true. Father, we need the reassurance of your word. We need to remember who we are. Lord, as your children, we need to spend more time on our knees. Father, for some of us, it's been a battle because of the things that are going on. Circumstances in our life. Lord, there are some that, that, that sickness has, has done been a battle and a half. There's things that are going on with families. There are things that are happening all around. Lord, we live in that last days. I believe it beyond anything else. Father, you, you don't promise us tomorrow. But Father, you're here for us today. Help us to be that light that shines. To put our problems aside, take up the cross and follow you. Lord, you said you'd be with us. You'd ease our burdens. So, Father, this morning I pray for those that need help. They'll come to you. Lord, if there's someone who didn't know you, I pray they'll pray that prayer. Lord, during this time of invitation, have your way. In the Lord's name I pray. Amen.